Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice-monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are harder and smarter working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I'm joined today by Carolyn Foley. Carolyn, what is up? You just said harder and smarter working, and I don't know if that was intentional or if it's just this week has been nuts. (laughs) It was not intentional, but uh, it's probably true. Uh, (laughs) Most people are harder than I am in many, many definitions of that term. So, Yeah, uh, that is, if you want a proxy for how my week is, that's as good a proxy as any. But you know what? It's it's Friday afternoon. It's uh, beautiful outside. I've cracked open one drink here of a certain type in about one hour. I'm going to crack open another drink of another type and life will be good. Yep. Uh, All right. So so that is good. One hour plus, I realize. That's not as late as I thought it was. (laughs) Uh, We'll see. We'll see how the afternoon goes, I guess. Anyway, uh, so, you know, I was thumbing through my news feeds today and I saw a really interesting paper about uh, bald eagles and contaminants. And and I was able to get the author. So I think we're going to talk to him about what I'm hoping. We'll see how it goes. What I'm hoping is kind of a a success story, which would be nice, or at least a, a, a success story in progress, maybe. Um, with bald eagles and contaminants. And so um, I'm hoping that it is a uh, a good conversation. But, you know, I've thought that before and ended up sad. So we'll see how it goes this time. But, uh, oh, it'll between... be great, Stuart. <laughs> it'll be great. Anyway, uh, so let's do some of the uh, transitional music and then we'll bring on our guest. Which one do we... F- oh, you know what? It's research, isn't it? So here we go. Research a feature, a feature in which a researcher going to teach us about the Great Lakes. We really ought to do some stuff where we're not embarrassing ourselves in front of our guests before it even starts. We need to make some changes here. I apologize for that. Our guest today is Bill uh, Rowdy, who used to be with the National Park Service, and now he's continuing on some of the work he was doing there. He's a wildlife biologist. Um, And the author of a new paper in the journal Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry. The paper is called Patterns and Trends in, oh boy, Polybrominated Diphenyl Ethers in Bald Eagle Nestlings in Minnesota and Wisconsin, USA. Bill, how are you today? Very good and very nice introduction. You got it all pronounced right. Uh, (laughs) As we know, I am a professional, but uh, so our pronunciation is good. That's awesome. But why don't we start at the very beginning? What is a, oh no, now I'm going to screw it up, a polybrominated diphenyl ether? Polybrominated diphenyl ethers, and you can just go short and call it PBDEs. It make it easier for all of us. But so these PBDEs are... Um, a family of chemicals, and there's up to 209 of them. And um, within that family of chemicals, there's what are called congeners. And those congeners, think of it as uh, as species within a family. So uh, these species, there's uh, you know many of them, and these were uh, brought onto the scene in the uh, about 2000 or 1970s, and um, they're human made. So there are a form of chemicals that are used for mostly for uh, flame retardants in plastics and foams and other products. Okay. And so uh, they run on the 1970s. And um, let's see. But, but so what do these have to do with bald eagles exactly? That's where I'm getting lost here. 
Sure, sure. So, um, so here's these chemicals that are um, in our, um, you know, they're in our sofas, they're in our uh, carpets. Oh, these are everywhere, right, our, right. Or like in our they're kids' clothes, they're, right? Okay. Yes. Okay. You know, I mean, think about your, your coffee maker, the plastics in your coffee maker, the plastics in um, anything you have. These chemicals are stirred up into all of those products, and um, they help to make our products fire resistant. So, you know, if you want a hot toaster to not burn up, you, you put in flame retardants. So these flame retardants are used in plastics. And of course, then there's, there's the emissions from production of the product. There's the emissions from water uh, waste going into our water supply system. Um, when we clean our houses and we flush um, the products down our, our sinks because we've washed our carpets or whatever, they get into the environment. Eventually, they get into the water system. And the issue about these chemicals is that they're very highly persistent. Mm -hmm. And what that means is they do not break down. So they, they remain. Once they're produced, they just don't break down very easily. And then they accumulate up the food system. So if a fish in the water gets a little tiny bit of this chemical in their body, but then a larger fish eats that fish, and then a larger fish eats that small fish, and then eventually a bald eagle eats that larger fish. Gotcha. And now you have what's called bioaccumulation of these contaminants. So what bald eagles help what, what bald eagles help us do is they help us show um, where these contaminants end up in these aquatic systems. And so in the bald eagle, so what are you sampling? Are you looking at their eggs or their feathers or their, um, like, what, which part of them are you looking to see where these chemicals are? Like, is it in their tissue or a particular tissue? I don't know if that quite right. makes sense. Right. Well, you could look at several different places. You could look at what um, the buildup is in their livers or, you know, brain tissue or something like that. But what we wanted to do, because we're the National Park Service and we like to see what's going on in our live populations of, of healthy animals, um, what we did was we um, went to the nestlings. So the little nestlings that are in their nest every spring, we climbed the tree and plucked the nestling out of the nest, brought it down to the ground, weighed and um, measured them, and then took a blood sample. So we actually took a needle, just like you would give a blood sample in the hospital, and we grabbed a small sample of blood out of, out of the brachial vein. And then we took that blood sample and we brought it to a, a laboratory, an analytical laboratory, and they can measure things down to uh, parts per billion. And so then we can measure how much of this contaminant has accumulated in these nestlings across uh, large areas. I see. And so, so, so you're using this partially, well, so I guess two things. So one, um, how, how much, like, so the numbers parts per billion, what, what is like, what is the rough number in parts per billion that, that we've seen over time? And then kind of my, the other thing, and you can talk about these however you want, I guess, is you're using this as like a proxy, right, for contaminant in the area. And so I'm interested in like, what are the other effects of, of uh, PBDEs or, or what does this tell us about the environment in the area, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, very good. Well, the levels 
they won't be very meaningful to you because, um, you know, parts per billion. Um, suffice it to say that um, in the early days when we started monitoring, they were at levels that were similar to PCBs, which were banned in the early 1970s because of their toxic effects. And by the way, these chemicals are very similar to one another. So PBDEs, which we're talking about today, are very similar in their chemical structure as PCBs, which were banned in the 1970s. So lo and behold, they have some of the same effects. Um, you know, they're, they're what's called hormone disruptors. So they uh, disrupt the thyroid system and the immune system. Um, you know, there's been a, a number of, of research efforts done on different animals to find out that they, they do, in fact, cause problems and they are of concern. And so that's why they've been banned. So they, they've now been pretty much banned um, internationally and they started to be reduced uh, in the early uh, 2000s. And so what we wanted to do was see what is the effect of this ban? Have they been removed from the system? Are they slowly, slowly moving out of these, um, out of these aquatic systems? And we're using the bald eagle as a proxy, as you say. That's a very good word for it. And in fact, um, the, you know, what we want to know is, um, because we as humans also feed out of these aquatic systems, right? We eat the fish, we um, drink the water. Um, we're really using the bald eagle as a model to say that if they have it, then we probably have it too. So, so what do you think? Do, do they have it? Do we have it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. And, and of course, the good news is that we, we monitored um, you know, across the state of Wisconsin pretty much from, from the Apostle Islands up on Lake Superior uh, down um, in Lake Michigan, you know, outside of Green Bay and the Wisconsin River, the Fox River, uh, the St. Croix River and along the Mississippi River. So a large swath of, of Wisconsin and into Minnesota. And what we found was that these contaminants have, in fact, declined pretty much uh, since they were taken off the market in the early 2000s. And there's been a consistent year after year decline of something in the neighborhood of uh, three to six percent, uh, depending on which one of these different congeners, uh, you know, species of chemical that you're we're looking at. So they have um, overall they've declined. And so, it's, so that's the yeah. And so is that decline? I guess it's just because as they bioaccumulate up the food chain or whatever, and those animals die, for lack of a better term, uh, uh, the PBDs like do they just go away, or do the little microbes eat them? What even what even happens then? Right. Well, that's a really good question, and we don't know exactly all of the the fate of these chemicals. We know that they're very highly persistent, so they don't break down very easily. But eventually they do yeah. break down to some, you know, to some extent. And um, so what we're, you know, what we feel is that they are slowly breaking down and slowly being removed from the system. Or some of them are just simply going into sediments and and becoming uh, deposits into sediments, bottom sediments in lakes and streams. And they're just not bioavailable to yeah. bald eagles or to us. So in a way, they're sequestered into the, in the, the system. Is that something, uh, obviously we don't know, is that something that you think might be a future concern if we have like these, you know, uh, dumps full of PBDEs P, uh, or, or is that maybe okay out of sight, out of mind? 
No, it is. It is a concern mm-hmm. for sure, because as landfills leak and they do, you know, we build really good landfills. We try to right. line them. But as as these things break down, you know, we got styrofoam and we got all kinds of textile products and stuff like that in these landfills. And as they slowly break down and leach out of these landfills, they do leak into the system. So we believe that it'll be a continual problem for, you know, decades and decades. Um, but, you know, the good news is that they, they are slowly declining. At least they're not increasing. Uh, the other interesting thing is that some of these um, contaminants, some of these species of PBDEs um, get into the bottom sediments and microorganisms tend to break them down and create other PBDEs out of <laughs> one of them. So, so they, 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 they transform to some degree right. and they actually transform from the least toxic down to the more toxic. Oh, oh goodness. So there is some potential that we are reducing some of the, what are called the higher brominated flame retardants and we're bringing them down to lower brominated flame retardants. There are fewer of them, but they are more toxic. But so, a lot of work needs to be done to, to figure that out yet. But still, as I say, the good news yeah. is that they are. No, that is good news. And I'll, I'll put my plug in here. So the answer, and then Carolyn can go. Uh, my, so the answer is we need to fund scientists to do more work. Uh, we say this about every every second episode. So I just got to say it. All right, Carolyn, go. <laughs> okay. So I want to um, go back a little bit to, you know, you describing the, the methods that you did, that you climbed up the tree and you pulled the animal out. And you, the you had eagle, mentioned the little eaglet. Yeah. The little eaglet. Yeah, sorry, animal. <laughs> Very cute. Um, and you so, yank it with um, your needle. But anyway, go ahead, Carolyn. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you have training originally as a wildlife biologist, and then you sort of turn toxicologist a little bit. Which um, skills that you had as a wildlife biologist transferred well to the work that you did in, in this paper and, and otherwise? Yeah, well, as a wildlife biologist, in in um, many of the years that I've uh, done this, I've handled a lot of different wildlife, and um, so handling wildlife, I guess, is an expertise or a, a part of the picture that that I felt I I was best at. And so, uh, physically handling the animal, we didn't give them any drugs; they, they were you know totally um, you know un undrugged in any way. So. It takes a little bit of a skill to make sure that, you know, what these are, are about 10 pound, um, nestlings. These are not small robins. You know, these, these are bald eagles and, and they're, they're eight to 10 pounds. And, um, you know, sometimes they're pretty feisty. They can use their, their, um, uh, talons and their beaks to, to do, uh, great harm to you, um, unless you handle them correctly. And of course, you don't want to hurt them either. So, so my, my skill was, was uh, mostly in the early days in the actual handling of the animals. And um, and then in terms of the toxicology, I, I had a huge uh, learning curve. and and But it was fun. It was a very interesting uh, project. Right. I appreciate that because um, one of the things that I think I've sort of found is, you know, you have uh, young scientists who get really enamored with being ecologists or biologists, and then they have to transfer to something else. Like I, a whole bunch of people that I know who 
started out in like aquatic invasive species. Now they do water quality because that's what people are, are kind of more interested in. Yeah. Thanks for that. Some people start and get like a master's in fisheries biology and then become social scientists and go from there to being a paper pusher. So uh, <laughs> that happens in every direction. So, all right, one more question. Well, I did a lot of the paper pushing yeah. too. Uh, so. A big portion of science is pushing paper, I think, or at least science in the real world. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so I have one question I have to ask for Angie's sake, and then and then we'll, we'll move on to our ending questions. Uh, and that is this. So the little eagles, are they going to be okay with all these PBDs or does it, does it affect them or do they seem as far as you can tell to not have a significant quality of life change uh, as a result of this? As far as we could tell, um, there was no population level effects. So, um, you know, we, but we, we weren't really looking at that. Yeah. Mostly we were looking at the patterns of their distribution of these chemicals um, so we didn't design the study to look to see whether or not these nestlings are in any way behaviorally affected. Um, had we wanted to do that, you would have to probably, um, you know, watch them behaviorally to see if they change at all. Um, but then usually what you have to do is give them different quantities of the yeah, chemical. Yeah, sure. Do an experimental. Um, ranging from a very light quality to uh, a very high dose and see whether that affects them. And, and that wasn't uh, part yeah, of what sure. we wanted to do. So we could not see any population level effects, but we really didn't look mm-hmm. at them. And that, that makes sense. Uh, but so the story then, let me make sure I get the story of the paper. Uh, and then, and then, yep. So, so PBDs, they come from f- uh, flame retardants or fire, fire uh, protective chemicals. And uh, the, the levels yep. were fairly high, but then they've been banned for most of this century. And so now they seem to be slowly breaking down, but we don't know exactly, or the, the, they seem to be disappearing from uh, the, the bald eagle population anyway, and therefore maybe the, the, the areas where they are. And we're not sure what the long-term effects of that are, right? Is that kind of a good one-sentence summary of your, your story here? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, summary. I, I think I would, I would hasten to, um, uh, to throw in there, though, that um, even though these have declined, um, industry is always looking for ways to replace the chemicals that they have to reduce. So what happens is that chemicals like these suddenly became known to be persistent and toxic. And so they were then either directly regulated or EPA or somebody just through, um, you know, really a request or, or, or you know, negotiation um, they have, you know, taken them off the market, but then they have to replace them with something else. And, you know, what we have to be vigilant for, I think, as people as to, uh, is to be supportive of, um, regulations for one thing, uh, research into these kinds of things and, and into green chemistry or lack of chemicals, um, in order to get the same things that we, we need. So uh, there are ways to to uh, formulate chemicals that break down quickly, and we need to make sure that we're we're trying to do that because what happens, even though these are declining, there is a mixture of chemicals out there in in the environment, and we don't know how they play with each other. Um, you know, right now there's something somewhere around eighty eight thousand chemicals that are released into the environment. And um, so even very, very small quantities mixed with one other chemical might be hazardous to someone's health. 
And if some individual just happens to get a large dose of one chemical or the other, um, you know, some of these things, we just don't know how it affects people. That makes a lot of sense. Well, this is a really interesting bill. Um, It sounds like important work, and I'm glad to hear that it does seem like at least some trend is down. Uh, But that's actually not the reason that we invited you here uh, on Teach Me About the Great Lakes today. The reason that we invited you to take part of Teach Me About the Great Lakes is to ask you two questions. First question is this. Uh, If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which would you choose? Well, (laughs) I think it depends on on what I get to have along with it. Okay. If there's a really good cup of coffee with that donut, then I might go with the donut. But if there's a really good beer to go with the sandwich, I might go with the there beer. There you go. <laughs> so you're, you're more choosing based on the beverage than on the food item. I, I can appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so that's yeah, great. That is great. So, so where are you based out of? I, I forgot to ask. I'm sorry. Ashland, Wisconsin. Oh, that's you're in Ashland. All right. So when I'm in Ashland, Wisconsin, normally I'd ask, where can I go to get a good sandwich? But we're just, we're, you know what? We're cutting through that. I don't even care. Where can I go in Ashland to get a good beer? Oh, the South Shore Brewery. South Shore Brewery. Done and done. Uh, is that South Shore as in the South Shore of the lake? South Shore it... of Lake Superior. They there use Lake Superior water to make a, a nut brown ale that is very good. Okay. Future episode. Got it and got it. Uh, good. And so then the second question is, is this. So you're a wildlife biologist by training and you worked at the National Park Service for, for a long time. One thing we're interested in is like what makes people good at their jobs, right? Because I think that that's that's always good to hear. So, what is it that you makes you that makes you good at uh, being a wildlife biologist? What are the key skills or traits? Do you think? Well, I think um, just I really care about the environment. I care about wildlife. Um, I've uh, enjoyed working with various species of wildlife and asking uh, questions about why um, they they. Um, they do what they do. I've been inquisitive about populations and how populations change and how our environment around us has changed. And um, uh, I'm particularly uh, enjoy handling wildlife, although I think more and more it's important that we find non-invasive ways to, to monitor without, without actually handling them. Yeah, excellent. Well, uh, Bill Rowdy, um, author of an interesting paper. Uh, we'll put a link to the paper in our show notes so that everybody can go and check it out. Um, this is really good work, and we appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah. It's always good to hear. It's always good to hear a, um, you know, some environmental good news. It was a little caveated, but but it was still nice to hear. I think. Yeah, I think it's an important caveat though, because um, you know the point that Bill made that um, we like there's always going to be another chemical to replace yep. the product, like the the use. Um, I think that's extremely important. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, when when BPA. Um, BPA? BPA became a thing. Like, it disappeared overnight from, like, kids' bottles and stuff. But it's been replaced, too, by other things. And I think that there's some thought that maybe they're, you know, uh, they're kind of ugly as well. So, yeah, I hear you. It's always worth remembering um, about. But still, it's good news is good. And so it's nice to hear good news, I think. 
Yeah, it is. Um, I also really, really enjoyed. Um, so I guess we should note that this paper that we're talking about today, it's an open access paper. So we'll have a link to it. There are some really cool maps yep. looking at um, where they actually did the sampling and things like that. So um, we'll, we'll post that the link to that paper and maybe on a couple of other papers, too, that yeah. may be of interest. Yeah, those um, will be good in the show notes. Um, yeah. yeah, we're checking out. Absolutely sure. And where good. are the show notes? Oh, oh hold on. Wait. Oh, sorry. This thing, it's always... Uh, what? Oh, a message. Oh. 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 All right. Uh, great. Well, let's uh, just go ahead and play that, I suppose. Uh, we got a caller. This is a caller to our new Teach Me About the Great Lakes hotline. Have I told you about this? You haven't. What no. the heck is going on? We have a Teach Me About the Great Lakes hotline, Carolyn. Anybody who oh. wants to can call in. Uh, area code 765-496-IISG for Illinois, Indiana. Secret. And uh looks like we got a message here. We're asking people to call and tell us kind of the story of the Great Lakes in 2020 and 2021. You know, so like last year... Uh, a lot of people's relationship with the lakes changed and, uh, you know, maybe there are things they missed about the lakes or maybe, uh, you know, maybe actually a lot of people enjoyed the time in nature um, in a way they hadn't before. So we're interested in you calling and telling us about it. It looks like we have a message from, uh, oh, this is from the great Megan, it says right here. So let's just go ahead and play it. Hi, this is Megan, first time caller, long time listener. Woo! Um, my relationship with the Great Lakes changed in 2020 by... Um, me having greater greater appreciation for them. Um, I think not being able to go and explore and and being stuck at home just made me want to go and explore more. Um, and so I, I had a lot of reading time and a lot of listening to Teach Me About the Great Lakes and other podcasts to, to learn more. And that's how, that's how I, I filled that niche. Um, but in 2021, I'm really hoping to go and visit one of the shipwrecks that we, that um, we talked about in one of the episodes because I think that that would be so cool to go diving on one of those wrecks. And that's it. There you go. Well, thank you to the great Megan for calling in. And she sounded a little bit familiar, I think. but that's okay. Tiny bit. Yeah. But hey, do you have a Great Lakes story? If so, give us a call. 765-496-IISG. That's 4474. Operators are standing by. Actually, they're not, but it's a voicemail thing. So call and leave a voicemail, and uh, maybe we'll play it on the air. Yep. Uh, anyway, well, this has been a fun episode, but uh, where can people go to find out more about the awesome work that we do at Illinois' Indiana Sea Grant? The, the Illinois? Um, Illinois. That's uh... what Ron Zook said uh, uh, when he first got the job as the football coach of the University of Illinois. I happen to know. Uh, he called it Illinois. Anyway, where can they go? All right. They can go to um, our website, iicgrant.org, C spelled as the S-E-A, not the letter C. You can also find us on social media at I-L-I-N-S-E-A-G-R-A-N-T. I believe we are on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. And there are also other podcasts, too. And many of our staff members are on Twitter, too. That's right. Just go follow everybody. Do everything. Um, and in between now and then, Carolyn, so good to talk to you. Have a wonderful weekend. Crack open a nice cold Southside Brewery brew. Uh, or if that's not true. And, and it's, 
on Lake Superior too. I mean, imagine. Oh, see, that's where I want to be. I want to answer that question. I want to be sitting on the shoreline of Lake Superior, drinking something delicious. I agree, but call the hotline and leave that message. Don't tell me that now. I don't oh, know. I'm sorry not interested. About that. Uh, and <laughs> out there, I don't want to hear about it unless it's if on it's the not in the hotline seven six five four nine six IISG. That's four four seven four. Then I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Anyway. Alrighty. Uh, great. Well, in between now and then, everybody, uh, get yourself a cold beverage, whatever that may be. Uh, some lemonade would be nice. Please fix me a large slice. Either way, keep grating those flakes. <laughs> a tab! Oh my God, I'm almost crying.